You may be seated. I want to take a moment to dismiss our kids who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs with our leaders for what we call Kids Crew. Time of worship designed specifically for them. They're going to continue to dig deep on the Bible story that they learned this morning in our Sunday school time. We're going to be in the book of Ruth today. So let me encourage you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Ruth. If you don't know where Ruth is in the Bible, it's a short book. There's no shame in looking for the table of contents in the front of your Bible. But I want to show you something, okay? I'm just going to use my Bible as sort of an, an illustration. We are working our way through the Bible this year. We're doing a Bible reading plan. We're calling this Redemption Story. And I want you to notice, if I just hold my Bible like such, you can see that if you're reading along with us, this is how much we've read, and this is how much we have left to go, okay? So we're about a quarter of the way through. Not quite yet, but by the time we get to the end of March, we will have made it through a quarter of the year, right? Three months. That's the way the math works. Not, not any, I'm not blowing anybody's mind there, I hope, right? Take 12, divide by four, you get four quarters, right? So three months into the year, We've, we've read about a quarter of the way through the Bible. And so we're working our way through. And, and maybe this feels like it's a lot. Maybe this feels daunting to think, oh, we have that much left to go. But can I tell you, the way that you attack it is just little by little, day by day. And so uh, I, I've, I'm training for a marathon right now. Uh, I, I'm training to run in April, at the end of April, I'm going to run the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. At least that's the plan, right? And little by little, I, I keep trying to attack it. So Friday was my long run. My long runs are on Fridays. And Friday on my long run, I ran 18 miles. And I'm here. I lived, okay? Okay. Uh, I, I'm, my hips are a little sore. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit harder at 45 than I think it would have been if I had done this at 35, but it just is where we are, right? But when you think about that, so I actually, this may seem silly, but go with me, okay? I'm, there's a point to all of this. This week, this week, I was reflecting on the message while I was running. I was thinking about the sermon and kind of in my mind, kind of preaching it to myself. And I had a lot of time. I was a captive audience, just me and nothing but, you know, the country roads for, for several hours uh, the other morning. And as I'm running through that, there was a point, I used this little app. And the app tells me every mile, it gives me an update of how far I've gone and how much further I have to go and how slow I'm doing it, right? That's really quick. Not how fast, because it's not fast, I promise. But so I had run. And there was a point when, there was a point the other day when I was figuring out in my, in my mind, okay, halfway point would be, halfway point would be uh, nine, nine miles, right? 18 divided by two, nine miles. I think that works. So at the point where I ran four miles, I was thinking to myself, I'm almost halfway to halfway, okay? I'm almost there, like I, uh, about four and a half miles in. I'm almost halfway, and then at some point, the app told me I had run five miles instead of four miles. And so I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a little over halfway to halfway. And then I got to nine miles. Okay, I'm halfway. And then I got up to 12 miles. Okay, I'm three quarters of the, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm counting it down, working through this in my mind, breaking it apart. 
My point is, if you're looking at the Bible, if you're thinking about all of this, it may seem like it's a lot to read through this book. But let me encourage you, don't think about everything. Break it down. Make it, make it doable. Break it into bite-sized chunks. Get halfway to halfway or something, right? You know, like do it a little bit at a time. And I promise you that if you will focus on that and, and take the little chunks along the way, it's doable. It's manageable. A little bit every day. And if you fall behind a little bit, if you're doing the daily readings, catch up. And if you fall behind too much, then throw the idea of catching up out the window and just work from where you are, right? And if you haven't started yet, well, then you've got a choice to make. Either you can jump in at this point or you can start at the beginning and and just work your way through. The bottom line is this. The discipline of reading and studying and working our way through the Scripture, it will will bless you. It It will produce enormous benefits in your life in the long run. But you've got to, you've got to start someplace. And so let me encourage you, if you're in it, keep going. Keep doing it. If you're not in it, then start. Read with us. Jump in. And if you're in it and you've fallen behind a little bit, it's okay. The goal is to grow closer to the Lord as we study His Word and we work our way through the Scripture. And so if you can catch up, do it. Make it your goal. Double up on days. Do what you might need to do. And if, it's, if that's just so far out of reach, then forget about catching up and just work to read the Scripture daily and just follow along because I promise you it will bless. Now, this week, if you're following along with the plan that we've published on our website, the plan, there are still actually a few paper copies of this plan available in the foyer. But if you're following along with the Bible reading plan that we have put out, this week we finished the book of Ruth. In fact, we read the book of Ruth in one day. It was Friday's reading, if you're following along every day. And, and so we've read through. Now, some of you are following along on the Version Bible app's canonical plan because because that's another way that you can do this, and you haven't gotten to Ruth yet if you're doing that. The two, at some point, the two began to veer a little bit, which is funny because we picked the plan that we put out because it was supposed to be the same plan as the Bible version, but somehow, somewhere along the way, they're off just a little bit. It's okay because it'll catch up. It has to catch up because both plans are aimed to get you through the Bible in a year. So at some point, we'll, we'll all be back on track, I suppose. But whether you just read Ruth or whether you're gonna read Ruth in the days to come, let me, let me give us a little bit of background on the book of Ruth that will really help us make sense of this book. Because the book of Ruth is four chapters, it's just a few pages long, but it tells a story of something that becomes enormously important in the overall picture of what God is doing in the life of this people. Because what we understand is that Ruth becomes this this person, this figure who is brought into the, the story of what God is doing through his people Israel. As an outsider, Ruth is a Moabite. And what that means is that Ruth is from Moab. Now, that's not Moab, Utah. Some of us have been to, maybe you've been to Moab, Utah, and you've been to Arches National Park or that sort of thing. So when you read that Ruth is a Moabite, which is not from Moab, Utah, okay? She's from the, we'll call it the original Moab, uh, which was a, a land there in, in uh, Palestine in the area where modern-day Israel is. And so the Moabites were a group of people who had a long history with the Israelites, 
And it was kind of a contentious relationship. There were some points where they got along okay. They kind of made space for each other. But then there were a number of points along the way where they were at odds and at times even at war with each other. And Ruth is a Moabite. So we read in the early verses of the book of Ruth that there was a famine in the land of Israel and that there was a man whose name was Elimelech. And he took his family and they journeyed to, a, to a, dif, a distant land where, I suppose it wasn't super far distant, but they, they left their homeland they, and they sojourned or they traveled to find a place that they could find work and sustenance because of the great famine that was in the land. And in the midst of that, this man's sons both married women from foreign countries. One of his sons marries a young woman whose name is Ruth. And all of this we read in the very first verses, the first five verses or so of Ruth chapter 1. And so Ruth comes into the story, but then we learn that this man's sons, the man dies and his sons die. And so his wife, whose name is Naomi, is left with the two daughters-in-law. Now, in that day, in that time, this would have been, this would have left them at a significant disadvantage, both, we would say, sort of, sort of in, in terms of their socioeconomic-wise or, or just, just in survival. This would have been, this would have made it really difficult for these women to survive, particularly the two young daughters-in-law of Naomi. And so Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, you're released from your obligation to me. You're released. You don't, have to, you don't have to live with me any longer. I can't take care of you. I'm not sure that I can even provide for you. Go home to your birth family. Go home to your people. And, and, and maybe, maybe someone else will, maybe you'll find another husband, someone who will be able to provide for you. I'm going home to my homeland, to the homeland of my husband, hoping that, that the Lord will provide for me there as well. And one of the daughters-in-law decides to do what Naomi suggested. The other, Ruth, says to Naomi, I'm going with you, effectively. Ruth chapter 1, verse 17, she says, you know, don't tell me to turn aside or to go away because where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And so Ruth remains connected to, loyal to Naomi. They return to the, their land of origin, we'll say. They returned to their homeland, the place where they had not only, not only ties, family ties, but also an actual inheritance, like a literal plot of land, a place that they might live. And so they returned. And that's where we kind of pick up in the story in Ruth chapter 2. Now, here's the one other piece of the puzzle I want to give you before we dive into Ruth chapter 2. There was a practice in this day. There was a practice that if, if a woman lost her husband, her husband passed, that someone else who was a near relative might marry that woman and then might provide an heir and that that heir would then become the recipient of the, the, the land, the rights of the husband that passed. And in this way, it was a way of continuing a family's line, continuing their heritage so that land and other wealth and other things would stay in the family. And so in this particular situation, Naomi thinks herself to be too old to marry again. 
But one of the things that's playing out here that we'll see in Ruth chapter 2 is that God is going to provide someone as the, the person who might marry Ruth, thus preserving the heritage or the, the, the lineage, not only of Naomi and her husband, but ultimately in making a way even for what God would do in the future. And that's the beautiful sort of, it's not really a surprise, but sort of a surprise ending that I'm going to save for the end of the story, okay? That would have been known, that such a person, if there were such a, a man who would marry a widow, would be known as a kinsman redeemer. That was the, the title or the terminology, a kinsman redeemer. And so in this story, we see Boaz plays the role, ultimately, of the kinsman redeemer who marries Ruth, and that's not the major surprise. There's a bigger, there's a, there's a bigger surprise ending than that. But Boaz marries Ruth, and through that, God provides in a really neat way for their future. And so that's the background, okay? Let's, let's dig in. Ruth chapter 2. Ruth and Naomi have returned to Naomi's homeland, and now they're they're looking to survive. Quite literally, they're in survival mode. Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, if you're reading along, what you need to understand as you read this is that this is no mere happenstance. This isn't just circumstantial evidence. This isn't just good luck or good fortune. In fact, the way the book of Ruth is written the, the audience would know that this didn't just happen. Ruth didn't just wander into the field of Boaz, who, as it turns out, is a near kinsman of Naomi's husband. All of this is being orchestrated by God. And that's the point that the author of Ruth wants you to see, is the hand of God at work in all of this. How God is bringing things to happen that Ruth wouldn't have known to do even if she had tried, the way God is putting all of the pieces together to take care of Ruth. Have you ever had anything like that happen in your life? Have you ever had something happen that, and, and you just... Maybe you didn't even recognize it at the time, but you look backward and you see it's like the handprint of God was on the things that were happening. And you see ways that God was working and it's like he was, he was putting all the pieces in place and he was bringing all the things in alignment so that at just the right moment and just the right day and just the right way, and, and you think, wow, isn't that incredible that God did that? That's exactly what's taking place here. And that's what the original audience would have understood. So when they read this, and it happened, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Ruth didn't just happen to do that. God is working in the circumstances of Ruth's life. And we're going to see that's at the key part of the story, okay? And so we keep reading. Verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Now, even as we are introduced to Boaz, the first thing that we notice 
is the greeting that Boaz gives those who are working in his field. And again, what we see through this simple greeting, this simple interaction, is that Boaz is a kind man. He's a good man. And that's what we need to pick up on. This is, a, this is a good man. So God has brought Ruth into the right field of a good man who actually happens to be her future husband, the future kinsman redeemer. God is working through all of this. Verse 5, then Boaz said to his young, to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then Boaz says to Ruth, verse eight, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servants, though I am not one of your servants. And so Boaz is a good man, a kind man, who when he sees when he sees Ruth working among the people in the field that he owns, he's he's his heart is stirred with compassion, with kindness toward Ruth. Now, part of what's taking place here is that the law provided a measure for the stranger or the sojourner to be able to survive. There was, there was something that was built into the very law itself that God, when he instructed the people and gave them the law, he he made this, uh, th- this rule, if you will, that they were not to glean to the edges of the field, but they were to leave some uh, on the edges for those who were foreigners or sojourners, and that just meant somebody who's a, an outsider living among them, that, that they might come in and that they weren't to gather up all the leftovers, but they were rather to leave they were to leave a portion for those who might come behind them and, and gather up what we would call on the fringes or on the edges. And so Ruth is one of these people who is a sojourner. She's a foreigner in a land that's not her homeland, and she's gathering the leftovers in order to feed herself and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz sees this, and he's moved with compassion. Now, it goes on as the story continues. Not only does Boaz encourage her, he says, work in my fields. I promise, if you work in my fields, I've instructed my young men, no one is to touch you, no one is to bother you. They're to leave you alone, and they're to give you, and and better yet, when you're thirsty, go and draw water from, from my people. When you're hungry, go and and, and have a meal. Like Boaz basically says to Ruth, the story of what you have done, the story of how you are taking care of your mother-in-law has been told to me, and I will make sure that you will be taken care of. If you just come and work with my people, come and work among my land with my family, then you will be taken care of. I will make sure that you are taken care of. Ruth, of course, is moved by Boaz's kindness. 
she returns to Naomi, and she tells Naomi of what has happened, of, of, of all that has taken place. And Naomi is the one who sees God working in all of this. And so Naomi instructs Ruth that she's to not only to continue working in Boaz's field, but she even gives him further instruction that indicates she sees God at work. So let's, let's jump ahead a little bit. We're going to stay in chapter 2 for now, but I want you to jump ahead, and I want you to look at verse 19. And her mother-in-law said to her, this is Naomi speaking to Ruth, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you, because Ruth returns home with more than she should have, and Naomi recognizes this, right? And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her, daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter-in-law, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, as I mentioned, Naomi saw, as Naomi saw all of this playing out, Naomi recognizes that Boaz is a close relative of theirs. And so she senses that God is at work and that he's doing something here. So now this, I'm going to sort of summarize what, what takes place in, in, in chapter 3 here for us. So in chapter 3 of Ruth, Naomi instructs Ruth to go at, at evening time, that this is during the time of harvest, and Boaz is sleeping on the threshing room floor. And Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, You're to, I want you to go to where, where Boaz is sleeping, and I want you to lie down at his feet. And when you lie down at his feet, when he notices you, you're to ask him to cover you, that you might be covered with, with his blanket. And, and so all of this is, is symbolic of, of, of Boaz providing for Ruth. Now, some people think that maybe there was something more going on in all of that. And I don't think there's any reason for us to believe. I don't think that there's any reason for us to sort of read our modern-day uh, sensibilities about, uh, about sexuality and those things. This, there, there are some who would make the argument that effectively that's a euphemism, that, that Ruth lying at Boaz's feet is a euphemism for the fact that she was to go in and offer to be in his bed, if I can say it that way. And that, that doesn't need to be the way that we understand that. that doesn't, that's not what the text is pointing. That's, that's not what it's alluding to. Literally, I think we should just understand it, take it at face value, that, that there are cultural things here that don't make a lot of sense to us because we're talking about an ancient time and an ancient people. But by following Naomi's instruction, Ruth, the outsider, who already has gotten, she's already gotten Boaz's attention. Now, Ruth effectively presents herself to Boaz and says, in, in effect, will you, will you take care of me? Will you redeem me or provide for me? And Boaz responds again with kindness. Remember, Boaz is a good man, a kind man, whose heart 
wants to do what is right, and he has compassion on Ruth. And so he says to Ruth, there is actually someone else in the family who is a more near kinsman than I. So there is someone else who is a closer relative than I am, and he has what, a, what accounts to the first right of refusal. He has the right to redeem you. And so Boaz makes a promise to Ruth that I will approach this other man and I will encourage him to be your kinsman redeemer. And if he will not, then I will. So the next day, Boaz puts the plan into action. And he goes and he sits at the city gate and he waits for this near kinsman to come by, this, this relative of Naomi's husband. And he presents the situation to this relative saying, there's a young woman named Ruth and, 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 and she is here with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and they are, they're vulnerable. They're disadvantaged. Would you redeem her? Would you be her kinsman redeemer? And what we read in Ruth chapter four, this is fast forwarding now to chapter four, is this man says effectively, if I were to do that, then it would then it would mess up the, my own inheritance. I can't be her redeemer lest I put myself in a situation where I would, in, where I would forfeit my own land and my own titles and my own, right, my own uh, inheritance is what he says. And, and so basically he's telling Boaz, I'm giving, you, I, I'm giving you the freedom to do this if this is what you want. Boaz then makes the decision to marry Ruth. So they're wed and, and he provides not only for Ruth, but also for Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. And then here's the, here's the really neat ending to all of this. You have to go all the way to the end of Ruth chapter 4, okay? Because at the end of Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, there are a few verses here. Uh, actually, we're going to back up and uh, we're going to read verse 17, and then we'll read verse 18. But you, what we read is that in doing all of this, Ruth actually becomes a part of the lineage of the future King David. Look at verse 17. Ruth chapter 4, verse 17. And the, wom the women of the neighborhood gave him a name. This is the son that was born to Ruth, saying, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now read in verse 18. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. Jesse fathered David. And so Ruth becomes a part of the, the lineage of David. But if you know the story in an even cooler way, you go all the way to Matthew chapter 1, and what we actually learn in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1 is not only is Ruth a part of the genealogy of David, but ultimately she becomes a part of the genealogy of Jesus. Because in the family line that God preserves through Ruth, we have Obed, who fathered Jesse, who fathered David, and you trace that many generations removed, and, and we find Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. What a cool story. That, but, but it's more than meant to be just a, a neat story. You understand? 
The book of Ruth, although it it gives us this really neat story of God working, actually is a part of this much bigger picture of God's redemptive work. And that's how I want to tie all of this together today for us to understand. In fact, in your notes, you'll see that there are four ways that I want us to see connections to the gospel through the book of Ruth. Four connections or or four ways that we see uh, the, the, the book of Ruth parallels the story of the gospel. Because that's the point of the book of Ruth, ultimately, is it's not just giving us a story of Boaz and what a good guy Boaz was. And it's not even just telling us the story of Ruth, this, this person, this character, this figure in the story and ultimately the lineage of David. But the point is that God is working through the events, the circumstances to bring about his ultimate purpose. Because what we have in, in Ruth's life, in Ruth's situation, is all of the opportunity, all of the things kind of baked in, if you will, that, that Ruth could have been just any other disadvantaged woman, any other woman who is now subject to maybe to be taken advantage of by other men, maybe, maybe to marriage, maybe, maybe remarriage, but maybe also just to a life of potentially of, of, of hardship, of prostitution. There were so many ways that the story could have played out, but we see God's hand at work in all of it, that God is providing the right person, the right place, the right time, the right events, the right bringing all these pieces together. And finally, in the closing verses of Ruth, we see there's a reason this story is being told. Is because this story is like a, in, in the scripture, is like a bright flashing neon sign that is showing us that, listen, God works even when we don't understand. God is at work in our lives, even when we don't see it. God is at work in our circumstance, even when it seems like things are beyond our reach, beyond our grasp, beyond our power and our ability and our control. God is still at work in our lives. And that's what Ruth reminds us is that God is at work. God has made a promise, and he will be faithful to his promise because he's, because he's good. And in so many ways, Boaz sort of uh, becomes a, sort of this, this type or this, this figure that represents the goodness of God, the provision of God in our lives. And I want us to see that in these four parallels to the gospel that we see in the book of Ruth. The first one is this. We see that Boaz noticed Ruth. And the parallel that that points us to is that Jesus noticed our need. When Boaz comes home at the time of harvest from Bethlehem, okay, so he's come to his field and he's, he's come from Bethlehem is the, uh, the town. You, you know that David is of Bethlehem, right? Jesus ultimately was born in Bethlehem because they had returned to Bethlehem the, for the census. That we, we, we know those parts of the story. So this is the, the, his, his home. And when Boaz returns and he, and he makes his way to the field where the harvest is happening, we see that he notices Ruth. He notices, who is this young woman? She catches his eye. And what we can read into that based on what we know in the subsequent verses and the way the story plays out is that not only does Ruth catch his attention in the, in the sense of, I don't know who this woman is, but she catches his attention in a way that, that 
Ultimately, his heart is, is softened toward her. His heart goes out to her and, and ultimately in, in a way that they become married, right? I mean, God is working in all of this. We see that. Well, when we think about that parallel to the gospel, what we understand to be true is that we were, we were lost in our sin. That, that God, in his kindness toward us, saw us in our sin and he noticed us. He recognized our need. He recognized our cries of pain. He recognized our brokenness. You can go back even, even into the story of Israel in the land of Egypt in Exodus chapter 2, if you remember when we were studying our way through. And, and when God appears to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, the verses just before that, at the end of Exodus 2, we see that God heard the cries of his people and he knew what they were going through. He, and so what we see again and again throughout the scripture is that God hears the cries of those who are in need. He sees the brokenness. He sees the pain. He sees our need. And the gospel reminds us that God saw us in our moment of need. And he had compassion. He was moved with compassion for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so what the scripture is, is teaching us is that God is moved by a heart of compassion for, the, for those who are lost, those who are broken. When, when the Lord had every right to condemn us in our sin, he chose instead to make a way for us to be forgiven and redeemed. Because he saw us. He saw our need. He was moved with compassion for our need. The second thing that we see in this story, again, relating these parallels of sorts to the gospel, is that Boaz took the initiative to provide for Ruth and Naomi. And that Jesus took the initiative to provide for us. When Boaz saw Ruth and he, and he understood the story of who she was and, and, and what she was doing, providing for her mother-in-law, Naomi, who, who wasn't a part of her own people. She's a foreign woman living amongst the foreign people. Boaz was moved with compassion, and so he took it upon himself to provide for Ruth because he knew that Naomi was a relative, and he said to Ruth, you work among my people. You work in my fields, and I will make sure that you're taking... He took the initiative. Well, again, what we see in the picture of the gospel is that the Lord understood our need, and he took the initiative. In Philippians chapter 2, we read that he humbled himself. Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took the initiative to make a way for us, to redeem us, in our sin and our brokenness. The third parallel that I see as we're, as we're studying this story in Ruth is that Boaz protected Ruth. Boaz, not only, does he, not only does he take the initiative to provide, but he protects Ruth. You work amongst my people. I've told all of my men that no one is to touch you. No one is to lay a hand on you. No one is to, is to uh, harass you or assault you. That, he protected her. And what we see in the story of the gospel is that we're covered by the Lord's protection, that Jesus keeps us to the very end, that, he, he, that we persevere in faith because Jesus, we are sheltered under his wings. Now, there's some language that we kind of skipped over in Ruth chapter 3 when you're reading 
when Ruth lies at the feet of Boaz and she says to him that she asks, may, may you hold out your garment that I may be covered by your garment, which is symbolic of, of, of being covered or, or included in the household and the provision of Boaz. Well, what we see in the gospel is that we are covered by, as it were, the, the, the garment, the, the work of Jesus. We are covered by his work for us on the cross. That though we have sinned, though we have rebelled against God, though we, uh, we experience the, the brokenness and the pain caused by our sin, Jesus, with his arms outstretched on the cross, made a way for us to be covered by his blood that he shed for us. It's a parallel, it's a picture that, that the story of Ruth is pointing us to undersee that in a, in a much more profound, in a much greater way, we are covered by the provision, the protection of God. And not only are we covered, but he keeps us to the very end, that we persevere in our faith because Jesus did the work in saving us. I've said this before, but I think it's important that, I, that we be reminded here that the, the amazing power of Christ is such that he saves us from our sin, not because of anything that we have done to earn it or deserve it, but because of his goodness and his mercy. In fact, if you could lose your salvation, you would. If it were possible to lose your salvation, you would do it because, because we sin, because we fall. But praise God. As we trust in Jesus, we are, we are lavished with his grace and mercy. We are forgiven a, a forgiveness that we do not deserve and a new life through faith in him so that he keeps us and preserves us to the very end. So just as we see Boaz's protection, his provision, his covering for Ruth, we understand through the power of the gospel that we are, we are provided for and we are kept until the very end. Praise God that he does that. For us. First Peter chapter 1, by the way, verse 5. If you look in First Peter 1, verse 5, it, it says that we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the, in the last time. So the scripture, the New Testament even points us to this understanding that we are being guarded, we are being kept, preserved through faith in Jesus, through his power, his work. Finally, the fourth parallel that I see in this story of Ruth we see that Boaz gave, gave Ruth, excuse me, hope for tomorrow. That because Boaz married Ruth, because he became her kinsman redeemer, that he gave her a hope for the future. And that hope is represented in the story of Ruth through the son that is born, the son Obed. And, and how that becomes sort of uh, emblematic of, symbolic of, God's provision and his hopes for Ruth in the future. But it's also representative of something far greater. As we understand this parallel of the gospel through faith in Christ, we have a hope and a future. Not only is Jesus our hope for today, but he's our hope for the future, for things to come. And that as we place our faith and our trust in him, we have hope. We have a, quite literally, as the, as, as the New Testament refers to it, a, a living hope. We are born again into a living hope through faith in Jesus. And so the story of Ruth in so many ways, as I've said already, is like a, a bright flashing neon sign 
reminding us that God is at work even when we don't see it. God is at work even when we can't make sense of it. That God is at work even when it may feel like the wheels have come off and nothing is going according to plan or the way that, that, that we intended. That God is at work in our lives if we will trust him. And what we see in the beauty of the gospel is that in all the ways that God is at work in our lives, he's redeeming us from our sin, that he's, through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. Our past is, is paid for by his sacrifice on the cross. We're given a new hope, a new life through faith in him, and the, a, a future and a promise of all that is to come because we've trusted in Jesus by faith. We are redeemed through the work of Christ. And so Ruth is redeemed through the work of Boaz. But even in that story of Ruth's redemption, we see the picture of a much greater redemption through faith in Jesus to all who would trust in him by faith. And this morning, as we reflect on that truth, we come to a a moment of decision. Will you live by faith in the one who has given himself to redeem you from your sin? Will you trust in Jesus Will you look to him by faith, no longer trusting in your own ability, in your own, uh, in your own power? Because let's just admit the obvious truth here. You can't pay the price for your sin. If you could somehow, you wouldn't need Jesus. But we can't because we come up short again and again. But God has made a way for us to be forgiven through faith in Christ so that our sin is paid for And our future is certain as we place our faith and our trust in Jesus. And this morning, we want to respond in faith to him, looking to Jesus, our future, and our hope. And so in a moment, we're going to move into a time of response. And as we move into that time of response, we're going to stand and sing a song together. And the song that we're going to sing is entitled, He Will Hold Me Fast. And even as we sing that song, what we're saying is, Lord, I trust that as I look to you by faith, that you are going to hold me fast. You do a work that I couldn't do, saving me from my sin. And not only that, you will preserve me. You will hold me fast till the very end as I trust in you. And if God is speaking to you today and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, then even as we sing that song, we want to extend to you the invitation that you might respond to him in faith today. And so even as we're singing, I'm going to be standing right here in the front. Rad will be standing here as well. And we would invite you to come. And as we sing, if you're ready to commit your life to Christ today, that you would say, I'm, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm ready to, I'm, I'm ready to give all that I have to him. That you would have a hope and a future as you place your faith and your trust in the one who saw you in your need and made a way for you to be redeemed. Would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And even as we prepare for this moment of response and we think on what we've learned this morning, we want to, again, in an an attitude, a posture of humility and prayer, we want to say, God, thank you for the work that you've done, but also, Lord, show us how how we should live in light of this redemption story. And so, Lord, we do ask for you to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts as we seek to respond in faith and obedience. Humble us. Help us to acknowledge our need, that on our own, there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, but 
because of what you did for us, we can receive it freely as a gift as we trust in you. So move in our hearts and our lives now, we pray. In your name, amen. As we stand together to sing this song, let me just encourage you again. If God is speaking to you today, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, even as we sing, would you step out and come? Take us by the hand. Let us lead you through a prayer of commitment that you would trust Christ by faith. May we respond in humility and obedience to him, even as we sing this song this morning. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, and he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, He must hold me fast, and He will hold me fast, He will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, and He will hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight Christ will hold me fast Precious in his holy sight And he will hold me fast And he'll not let my soul be lost His promises shall last Bought by him at such a cost, and he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast, and he will hold me fast. And for my Savior loves me so, and he will hold me fast. He bled and died And Christ will hold me fast And justice has been satisfied And He will hold me fast Raised with Him to witness life And He will hold me fast Till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last He will hold me fast And he will hold me fast For my Savior loves me so And he will hold me fast And he will hold me fast and he will hold me fast And for my Savior loves me
holds me so and he will hold me fast aren't you thankful that god